We are in chapter 16 of Romans. We have reached the end of a long journey here. 16 is a bit different than the rest of the, the whole rest of the book. And uh, now we're in the part of 16, which is uh, a long list of names. So uh, we're going to dig in. We believe that all of God's Word is inspired, uh, that these names are here for a reason. They're here for our instruction. And I think there are things that we can and should learn uh, from this list and from this portion of Scripture. So we're in Romans chapter 16. I'm going to read for us verses 3 through 16 and ask you to hear then the Word of God. Paul says, Greet Prisia and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus who was the first convert in Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They're well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ Jesus before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsmen, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon. Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. There's a list. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for all of it. We thank you for the chance to be together this morning and to sit at your feet. Father, what would you have us learn? I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would indeed grow to love your church more and be challenged to be more engaged in the body of Christ, uh, that, uh, that this list uh, would come alive in our fellowship. For we ask and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, it's rightly said that uh, the church is the people. It's not the building. We've had one building, got another building. We're going to build some more buildings. It's not the building. It's not the programs that we have. It's the people. You are the body of Christ. Whether we met in an open field, as they do in some parts of the world, or underground, as they did at different times, it's the church is you. It's the people. And we see this as Paul closes his letter with these very, this very personal Uh, section. There's no explicit teaching again in this particular part. He uh, just names names and gives little bits of personal information connected with these people. Uh, But this list, as we read it, really is a beautiful uh, snapshot um, of the life and ministry of the church in Rome. There are rich relationships. There's this personal affection that runs through what he says to everybody in this whole list. He knows them. He loves them. But it also gives us a glimpse into Paul. It is fascinating to find this list 
in Paul, right? There are many who have the idea of Paul. Paul is, you know, the theologian, right? Paul is the abstract ivory tower guy, right? Paul is, you know, whatever. I know, you know, there are folks who put Paul sort of in this category because he's very smart. He is probably one of the great intellects of all time. So you have this intellectual, this profound uh, intellect that produces the book of Romans, and here in this chapter also comes from Paul, where he focuses on people. Leon Moore says that it is fitting that this letter, which has given us so much solid doctrinal teaching, should end with this emphasis on persons, on love, on a reminder that humble servants of God perform all sorts of active ministry. Paul's love for the church, his real and genuine love that comes across in this list, his love for the church, gives us a cross-section of the ancient church. You know, the cross-section, we cut down a middle and then you can see sort of the, the, the different parts of it. And that's what he does here in naming these people. He greets no less than 26 people. Uh, he names 24 of them, if my numbers are right, I'm close. 26 people, he names 24 of them and he adds these personal comments uh, but it, it does raise the question that uh, Paul's never been to Rome. How does he know so many people in Rome? And it's an interesting question. I don't, <clears throat> you know, can't give you a definitive answer, but here's some of the, the, the answers that have given. Uh, the Jews were expelled, and when I say Jews, then it also is the Jewish Christians, that, that early on the Jews were just considered a, a sect of, of the Jews, that there wasn't a clear split early on that they were the Jews who believed in the, this particular Messiah. That happened all the time in Judaism. Uh, these people claimed to be Messiah. So, so there's not a clear division. So in AD 49, the Emperor Claudius expels the Jews from Rome. He expels all of them, including Jewish Christians. They're, they're considered part of it. So this is one uh, way that we think that, that in those leaving, they, you know, right across the water from, from Rome and from Italy there, is Greece where Paul is in Corinth and had spent time. And so in, in AD, they get to return, AD 54, the emperor Claudius dies and they get to go back. But there's this window of five years. And so we know that this is at least some of the case because in Acts 18 verses 1 and 2, it says this, that after Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth, he found a Jew named Aquila. Now, he's clearly a Jewish Christian. In fact, we're told later that, that Aquila and his wife Priscilla, or Priscilla uh, are the ones who helped instruct Paul uh, in some of the faith. And they, they actually taught him at some point. And so he goes to Corinth and he finds a Jew, a Jewish Christian named Aquila, a native of Pontus, which is in Asia Minor. It's Pontus, Galatia, and over there. Uh, but he had been in Rome. And he gets kicked out of Rome and recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And so he went to see them. Right? So we know this is how Paul got to know uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, and this is how he came to be their acquaintance. And we know that all the Jewish Christians had been expelled. So that at this point, maybe this is where they minister, live, minister, teach, and, and live in, in uh Corinth and in that area of Greece where Paul gets to know this group of people before they can go home in 54 when the emperor dies. It's one way that we think, and you know, there are other ways that from the people who did come, they may have information and got to know the people that they know, got to know the church in Rome through people like Priscilla and Aquila. So the list reminds us when Paul goes through all this, it reminds us of both the unity 
in the church and the diversity that's in the church. Right? There, there is a, as he, as he goes through this, there's a powerful uh, language of unity that runs through this whole passage. But there's also all kinds of uh, diversity that we find in the midst of it. So it reminds us of unity. We'll talk about that first because it represents so much, uh, so much here of a shared life. You get that as he goes through it. Right? There, Paul has shared life with a bunch. He's been in prison with at least one of them. Um, you know, that he says, my fellow worker, he has worked with some of them. We know with Priscilla and Aquila, he accompanied him to Ephesus when he went and stayed there, um, that he has a relationship and has worked with these folks. And so there's all this shared life and ministry, uh, this family life in the church that comes out in his greetings. Nine times he describes people as in Christ or in the Lord. To all these people, they're in Christ, they're in the Lord. Uh, And that's a way of describing our union with Christ. That's the Bible language he uses in all of his letters and his theology, that we are now in Christ Jesus. And it's what it means to be saved. It's what it means to be filled with the Spirit and connected together into Him. It's a language of being, belonging to Him. And he's nine times through the passage. He starts with Priscilla and Aquila there in the beginning. Um, And he says, you know, greet them, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. But nine times, verse 7, he says, you were in Christ before me. My beloved, verse 8, in the Lord. In verse 9, our fellow worker in Christ. He was approved, verse 10, in Christ. He was chosen in the Lord, verse 13. Right, so being in Christ eternally unites us together. They're all in Christ together. They're all in it together. They're all in the same body, the same family, the same spiritual life, the same ministry, the same hope, the same future and destiny, the same calling is placed on their lives. He not only uses that kind of language, but he uses the affectionate language of of family. He says, uh, my beloved, four times throughout the passage. Greet so-and-so, my beloved, four times. My beloved, my beloved, somebody I love. He uses the language of sister, of brother, uh, even mother. I found that to be a fascinating verse 13. He says, greet Rufus and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Some of us have experienced that kind of thing in the church, haven't we? Uh, You know, there are are people that are grandfather, grandparents to our children, you know, that they're kind of relationship or mothers and fathers in the faith that we feel like, uh, in our lives. So we've experienced that kind of thing, but I guess, well, they, Rufus and his mother must have been in Corinth or somewhere where he was because she was something of a mother to him. It's the language of union, the language of shared life, the language of shared worship, the language of shared ministry, of family, of affection, of belonging, of connection that just runs right through the passage. John Piper says, this is the way a person who is drenched in Christ talks about his friends. The list also reminds us of diversity, just to point out a little bit of that. That there is this diversity within the glorious unity that is the body of Christ. There is race and status and gender and gifting. 
that he says different things about different people in terms of what they have, have done, the, the unity of gifts within the body and the diversity. But the, the list, there is uh, race and status and gender. The list has names that are in both Greek and Latin and Jewish. Right? So there are names that come from, from all of those. Latin is the old language of Rome. Um, <clears throat> Rome conquers Greece, and so there's a lot of Greek names, and there's a Greek culture that's always there. That's why we talk about the Greco-Roman, but there are Greek names and the Latin, the old Roman names, and there's Jewish names. They're all in the list. All kinds of people. Uh, the racial barriers are, are broken down. The ethnic barriers are broken down. When he says, my kinsmen, which he says at least twice, and once about a group of people, uh, most commentators believe that he is not, he's not saying that they are necessarily biologically related. He means uh, Jews, fellow Jews. So you have the Greeks and the Romans, uh, those folks, and then when he says, my kinsmen, the other Jews. And that's the way he refers to them. There are five names on the list that are common among slaves. And so people, high-born people, didn't use them. There were, just, there were names common among a certain class of people. So there are at least five that seem in that class. There are others who are thought in the list to be in the royal household. For instance, in verse 10, we hear of Aristobulus. Right? Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Um, it, is, it is probable that he is the grandson of Herod the Great. And we know that he was a friend then of the emperor of Claudius. That there are those in the emperor's household uh, that have come to Christ. He greets nine women in the list. More than a third of the list is women. So there's diversity of race, there's diversity of status. There's div- you know, he greets men, he greets women. Uh, more than a third of the list is women. He thinks very highly of those he mentions. He says of four of them, they worked very hard. Paul's not a male chauvinist, as many imagine. But he recognizes women, he praises and appreciates them, he includes them, uh, and, he, and he lists them right with everyone else and links them together and thanks them and praises them for their ministry. But the connections throughout the whole thing are personal. There are people that Paul ministered to, there are people who ministered to Paul, there are people who labored alongside of Paul, but there are these connections. Either he was involved in their life in the ministry or they were a mother to him or um, uh, worked very hard for him, were in prison, you know, risked their very necks for him. There are those who ministered to him, and then there are those who were his fellow workers and who shared the ministry together. Priscilla and Aquila in verse 3, the ones who come right after Phoebe, the first ones in the list, they are pretty much the only ones in this list who really appear anywhere else. Right, so they appear six times in the Scripture. Three times you hear them in the book of Acts, and three times they're, they're mentioned in Paul's letters. So Priscilla and Aquila, in that sense, are the best well-known amongst uh, many. Uh, I guess there are others who are well-known, but at least from this list, people who are well-known. Um, <clears throat> they're the ones who left Rome because of Claudius. Aquila was a tent maker. We learned that from some of the other references. He was a tent maker, and so he worked. He and Paul worked together in Corinth, uh, literally working together, making tents, as well as uh, doing ministry, because we know that when he left there and he goes to Ephesus, that they go with him. And when he leaves and comes, uh, uh, goes on from there, they stay in Ephesus for a period of time. He calls them fellow workers. They're missionaries like himself, from Pontus into Rome, back to Corinth, going with him to Ephesus. 
They risk their lives, it says, for him. Their very necks. You know, we don't know. He doesn't say when or where. Maybe that was in Ephesus in the great riot over, you know, the idol making and stuff. There's a big riot. Could be then that they risked their lives to protect him. And we don't know. But he has great appreciation and says the whole Gentile church has appreciation for these people and the risks they have taken for the gospel, for him, for the church. Epinatus in verse 5, it says he is the first fruit in, uh, in Europe. He is the first convert in, well, in Asia, which means if he's the first convert in Asia, this is going to be over in like Antioch area, just everything just north of. He's the first convert. It probably means that Paul led him to Christ. So he said, here's somebody that early in his ministry that now is in Rome and he is greeting him as part of the church. Mary in verse 6, it says, who worked, worked hard. Apparently the word there is very hard. Valuable worker. I mean, I, w- I would be interested, I would want, as you say, if Paul would say this, and we need to remember when Paul says this, God inspired it and put it in his word. So God says it. You know, is that what we would, what I would want said of me? Just that simple thing that said of uh, so some of the women in this list and there's people that he, Mary, Worked hard. He, the word is strong. She worked, you should say, very hard. She toiled. She labored for the church. In verse 7, Andronicus and Junia are my kinsmen. They're Jewish. They were fellow prisoners at some point. He doesn't say when. He says they were in Christ before me, which means that they must have been early Jewish converts in Jerusalem. It's part of uh, the first you know, apostolic conversion times before Paul came along and got into the picture. If he was in, in Christ, they were in Christ before him. This is a couple that has been followers of Jesus from the very earliest days and who now, he knows, are in, again in Rome. How many of these folks who started somewhere else are now ministering in Rome? Well, that's how a church got there. Christians went there. Paul, had, Paul didn't plant the Roman church. People like this planted the church, which is why the next thing it says about them is that they're well known to the apostles. So now this can mean that they are uh, well known to them, um, you know, that the apostles, again, were the ones in the apostolic conversion, that they're the ones who led them to Christ, or it could mean, you could be translated, that they are outstanding among the apostles. Uh, And that's then a little a. It told you that apostle, the word sent one, could be the office, capital A, or just somebody who is sent with a message, often referring to uh, missionaries in the New Testament. And so it could be that they're outstanding among the apostles. In other words, outstanding among the missionaries like Paul. That they came to Christ in Jerusalem or somewhere over there, and now they're in Rome as missionaries. However Paul knows all these people, which we're not positive, however they came to be in Rome, and we don't know how all these people got to be in Rome, Paul feels connected enough to them to single them out, to say something to them. He calls three of them specifically fellow workers. Some suffered with him. Some were imprisoned with him. And he greets a variety of people with varying comments. But I don't want to keep going through this list because I can already see some of the eyes starting to glaze over. So... I want to step back from the list. Like you, you get a sense of the list and what he is saying to these people. And I want to step back then and look a little bit behind the greetings at Paul, the apostle, the theologian, uh, as a people person. 
Because I think it is instructive for us. This list is instructed for us that way. We see this great theologian. He's a missionary preacher. He's a church planter like no other church planter with a global vision. He's on his way to Spain. He's already been planted half of the New Testament church. He's a deep sufferer. He has gone through everything you could imagine to be where he is at this point. He's inspired by God to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He's more influential. You could say Paul is more influential in world history than any other human being next to Jesus. Sometimes these type A leaders can be introverted, aloof, hard to get to know, driven people, who are task-oriented and task-driven and getting it done, which Paul does. And sometimes they can be hard to know. They are not always as relational. But here is Paul. You could almost say Paul's a people person. He knows all these people. He names them by name. And he has something to say about them. He knows them. He loves them. He cares about them. He can talk about them. So Paul, the theologian, is illustrating for us in the most practical terms, in my opinion, a biblical theology of relationship and of the church. And what we see is is if you put him in the middle of this, this network of relationships and his relation to them, his work with them, suffering with them, in prison with them, fellow workers with him, doing missionary work, But he's in the center of this nexus of relationships. And he illustrates for us, I think, how much Paul knew people, loved people, and uses the language of family and affection so freely and so richly through this section. He uses the language of family and love to describe them, to greet them, and to honor them. This is what Paul, if you remember, we go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. It it struck me as I was thinking about it, that is exactly what we see in, in Paul illustrating and living out in this list. He is loving them with a brotherly affection. They're his beloved, and and in every way he expresses his brother, his sister, his mom, his beloved, right, his family, and then there's this love each other with this affection and outdo one another in showing honor. He singles them out. He honors them. He praises them, uh, and he speaks about their ministry before the church. He commends, honors, and praises God's people for their faithful service. We see this in all of Paul's writings, actually. We don't always have this kind of list, but he, he says it. Uh, in fact, I would say that he gives us a philosophy of ministry, a philosophy of ministry that has both in terms of what he is doing, in terms of the gospel, preaching the gospel as a missionary, of reaching the world, of, of getting to Spain and all the things that he wants to do of his ministry, uh, but also of relationship and how relationship and how important it is in accomplishing those other goals that one of the means of accomplishing all those other things as part of his ministry is relationship. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He's writing to the church in Thessalonica. He founded the church. He's been there, uh, but he's not there right now. So he writes and he says, So being affectionately desirous of you, 
we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves as well. Because you had become so dear to us. This affectionately desirous of you. We, we might say, I'm so fond of you, right? I'm very, uh, you know, this whole uh, very dear to me, kind of that's the language that he's using, right? Because you're because we're so fond of you and you become so very dear to us, we want to share not only the gospel, but he says, our own selves. And it's an interesting, you even see in the King James, it actually uh, translates that, our own souls. Because the word translated, selves there, is the word for soul. Psuche, which is a, it's a word. And he says, he literally says, we share our own souls, which is a way of saying of sharing our lives is what they translate here as our very selves with you. So, in other words, he's not there just to preach the gospel, deliver a message. Oh, did you get it? Good. I'm, I'm moving on. Right? He says that we were, we, we preached the gospel. The context for that was our love for you. And as we spent time with you, we developed relationship with you. We shared our very lives together in, in, in the ministry. This is Paul's MO. Wherever he goes, we see it in almost all of his letters. It's almost a philosophy of ministry, this language of, of his ministry of the gospel, but of the people who are the church, who he loves, and who he desires to be with and to encourage and to see them grow and to see them stand firm. It's a philosophy of ministry. Those two things for him are indivisible. We see in like Philippians, right? So we're in Romans. We just read the the Thessalonians, Thessalonica, the church there, the church in Philippi. In Philippians 1.8, he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, I want to be able to say that. I want to say that. I... I think I can say that, but can we, can you say that there's a sincerity here? When you call God as your witness, you're either really evil or really sincere, right? And I think Paul's really sincere. When he can call God as his witness to say to you how much I love you guys, right? I call God as my witness to how much I love you. Gospel ministry, church ministry is done in the context of a shared life, a shared service, a shared suffering, the sharing of our very selves with one another. Corinthians. Corinthian church was a mess. Right? You read one and two. And he writes, I says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. It's like being affectionately desirous for you, right? And your salvation, your safety, your maturity, your health, right? He says, I would gladly spend and be spent for you. If I loved you more, am I to be loved less? The, the church is in the throes of controversy, and, and basically what that means is I'm not feeling the love, right? There are people questioning in his ministry. They're like these super apostles, and Paul, he's, you know, he's this timid or he's whatever, like, but you can read through and see him defending, in a sense, himself in his ministry. He's not feeling the love, but he says, if I love you more, right, are you going to love me less? Like, I would spend myself 
He says, I'm being poured out in one of his other letters. I'm being poured out like a, like a sacrifice on, on the service of, of his ministry to the church. Even this rebellious, unkind church, at least unkind of Paul at times, he loves them. They are the church, his brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ, that language that he uses. And he loves them. Philippians, at the end of the book, he says, Therefore, my brothers, that language again of family, whom I love and I long for, the language of love and beloved, the language of longing for and my, you know, very fond of and desirous of, my joy and my crown, the importance of these people to him, he says, Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Right? You see the language that he uses with the church, like all the churches, right? Now we've been looking at Thessalonica, Philippi, Corinth, Rome, right? It's all the same how deeply personal Paul's ministry is. How much he loves these people and how he could use that language. So let's step back and look at ourselves for a minute. Because my friends, we share so much as a church, right? As the body of Christ. We share so much in a worship that we just had together, sharing in all of the ministries that were, all the announcements we're making are things that we're going to do together, from Bible studies, and, and the list goes on. We share so much in the ministry that goes on day and night, literally day and night around here. And we're bound together like Paul in the bonds of love. And again, theologically, stepping back as Paul is illustrating it for us in this list. He's illustrating it in some of these other verses, but the theology of it, he stands back and says there's a whole theology of of the reality of it theologically in who and what we are as the body of Christ. In Philippians chapter 4, he says we're to bear with one another in love, and we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace, to maintain a unity that is already there. Sometimes we think we've got to drum up a a unity. We have to, you know, try to... Paul says you are in Christ together. You are chosen in Christ, right? You are all the different ways, he said, approved in Christ. My fellow worker in Christ. We already have this unity. And he says all we need to do is maintain it. And the bonds of peace... And then the theology of you, you know, what is this unity, this theological? He says there's one body, there's one spirit. Just as you and I were called to one hope that belongs to your call, there's one Lord and we share him as Lord. He's my Lord, he's your Lord. There's one faith, there's one gospel that we preach that we believe and enter into. And there's one baptism that we have all undergone together. There's one God, there is one Father who is the Father of us all, who has made us a body and a family in Christ. This is the, the theology of it. He says, and in, He is over all, and He is through all, and He is in all of the church, of the body. There's one body, one spirit, one baptism. And so let us maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace, all united together in all of our diversity, all of our personalities, all of our gifting, the different races, different status, different gender. These theological truths Paul illustrates in this list. 
And you could read back through it again on your own and see after what I'm saying uh, how Paul illustrates what I'm talking about in the way that he loves these folks in Rome, a church where he's never even been. They're his sisters, his brothers, servants, saints, a patron, fellow workers, the church, first fruits, kinsmen, they're fellow prisoners, they're beloved, they're approved in Christ, they're elect, they're even a mother to him. The rich array of connections that Paul has with these people. So that begs the question for us as we step back, and let me give us three or four things to think about as we apply it. And the first question is this. With this vast array of connections that Paul has with this church that he's never even been to, what is your connection to the church? If you wrote a letter, dear HPC, and you gave us some advice and a little theology along the way, and then you were going to end it like Paul does. If you were writing, are there 25 people that you would want to greet? 25 people that you could name. You know, if you sat down, let's see if I can get 25. Are there, how, how many, like, when, when you, would you want to, you, would you want to, great, to greet that you would be able to say personal things about? Personal connections, things you know about them and their ministry, and some of them, their connections to you. What is your connection? Who and how? And so we ask the question, how do we get connected? <laughs> this is where I get a free plug. Well, it starts with HPC 101, right? Have you never done that, right? Because that's the gateway, right? And it's a weekend. It's an intensive weekend that we pull aside and we, we get to know each other. You get to know the church because we talk about who we are, what we do, why we do what we do, and, you know, our theology and everything else. And so you get, you get to know the church, you get to know the pastors, you get to know the other people who are in the class, and it's, it's the beginning of connection to the body as a family if you do join so I would encourage you, if you haven't, there's, there's gateway one. But how much do we do? Everything we do in the life of the church is an opportunity for this. Right? There, are, there are Bible studies that meet. I have a group of guys. We've been meeting a small group and getting to know each other more and more, praying for each other, sharing with each other our very lives. You know, things that are going on with us so we can pray, learning together, challenging each other. The Bible studies that are going to be starting up, the ladies' studies and other groups that are going on are ways to just be with other people in life. Even the choir can be that. You guys meet every single week for a period of time. You're together. You get to know folks. You get connected to people. Any, in fact, any area of service. If you work the sound booth, if you volunteer with tasks, if you, you know, all the number of ways you can be involved in such a way that you're developing relationships. Of course, this is as you're able. Not everyone has the same ability to do these things. But what is our connection? If we were to write the letter, where are we going to get our 25 people to greet and to say something about and how much we love them? Well, let's flip it around. If somebody else was writing to HPC, what greeting would they say to you? Where would you appear in the list? What would your connection be? Right? What would they say about you? They worked very hard for you, for the church. Right? Or they were a, a fellow servant this way. They suffered with me. We were in prison together. But we might say, well, we were in task together. It's not prison or anything. But <clears throat> I'm just saying, you know, where, where were you together? 
It, where did you build those bonds? We were in St. Louis together, right? The trip that's going this summer, those trips build bonds that can last for a lifetime. You know, those getting away, men's retreats and women's retreats when we pull away and we spend concentrated time together and get to know each other. It's just another angle at evaluating our friendship. Do people know you? How would they greet you? Just like Paul is greeting them, how would they greet you? What would they say about you? Are you known? Third, as we think about this, let me just say that most of the names on this list you find only here. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody knows where they came from other than what he says right here. This is all we know about them. This is it. There's no other place in the Bible. There's no other place in history. These are just church people in Rome. Just regular church people that Paul got to know ministering with church people. This is important for me. This this cross-section of what we would say is an early church of early church people, just people and what they're doing and what Paul thinks about them. And it's nice. We get this sort of divine sort of perspective on what God thinks about these ordinary people. At least that's the way I think about it because, my friends, if you don't know it, we're just ordinary church people. Right? We're, we're just regular. We're like the people on this list. Nobody knows we're not going to be in the Bible We're probably not going to have our name in history. I don't know if they're going to write a book about you. Maybe they will. But we're just people. These people are just a lot like you and me. But Paul knows their names. And I would say that means God knows their names. And the way I think is that when God, everything is in here for a reason. If God put the list of these ordinary people that nobody knows and show up nowhere else to say that God knows who these people are. And if he knows who these people are, he knows who you are. And he knows what you're doing. And he knows what your connections are. And what Paul can say here, if God were writing the letter, you know, he knows you. And what would he say about you? How would he greet you? But the point is that he does know you. He knows your hard work. He, he knows, just like Paul here is recognizing and, and honoring and praising their work and their faithfulness in the ministry. God knows you and your work and your labor. That's why the scripture tells us what you do. You know, do it privately in the closet. The Lord who sees your work in secret will reward you. And he sees, and I think that's part of what this is about. And so finally, let me just give you one final practical command. It's the command that is repeated 13 times in these verses. Did you catch it? What is the command repeated 13 times throughout the verses? Greet. Right? Greet. Greet this person. Greet that person. Greet this group. Greet the choir. Tell them, you know, greet the, the brothers who are in this small group. Like, is, is to greet these people. So I looked it up. Greet. What does it mean to greet? Right? So the, the, the internet, the interweb says, give a polite word or sign of welcome, of recognition to someone. Right? Give a polite word or sign of welcome, of recognition to recognize, to see people, to know them, to give them a sign (laughs) that you know them and care about them. Greet each other. So the command is, and I guess the command that I will leave with you that runs through the text is greet each other. Greet each other. 
John 10.3 says, Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Right? That's what I mean when I said he, know, he does know your name. Your name is on his list. Right? And he knows who you are and what you do. And names matter. And that's what I hear from this. He knows his own sheep by name. That names matter. We should work to get to know people. As the way I take it, I strive to know everybody's names. It's not easy. And there are some I'm still working on. You know, but for 90, you know, I'm, but to know each other. And where do you get to know people and their names that matter? To notice people, to greet people. And he says to greet each other, interestingly, at the end with a kiss. Well, um, <clears throat> in Europe, they still do that. In same area of the country, you know, Italians, you know, the kiss on each cheek kind of a thing. So in that part of the world, they still do that kind of thing. Over here, it often is more pretentious. It's a pretend kiss on each cheek. Like, you know, I see that. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's up anyway. The kiss. The point that is there as a cultural thing is simply this, to give a tangible expression of your love and friendship. It's a tangible expression. You know, greet each other. Greet, 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 greet. Greet each other with a kiss. You know, for me, the tangible expression, I'm not sure the kiss works in our culture. Like I said, it's gotten kind of funny. Um, but this tangible expression, in some ways, like give them a hearty handshake. All right? You know, like greet each other. Touch each other. See each other. Notice each other. A hearty handshake or a hug or something. All right, with that, let me just read this verse as a close. <clears throat> this, this quote, Tim Savage says, the vocation of the local church could scarcely be more exalted. Called out of the world to be a light in the world, to be a united family among disunited families of the earth, to be indwelled by Christ himself, to be the apple of God's eye, to be graven on Christ's hands, to be the glory of the image of the Holy Trinity, for the church to be an embodiment of the infinite love of the cross, to be a collective portrait, all of us, more beautiful than any other in the world. That is the church. That is the local church. That is the new people of God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all of it. We pray that uh, Paul's love for the church is his knowing people and knowing them by name and loving them so dearly and having shared so much of life and ministry together would be a challenge to us to be engaged to get alongside of one another in ministry, in labor, in worship, in the church life, of sharing not just the gospel of God, but our very selves as well. Father, help us to break down the barriers and to love each other well. We thank you and praise you that you can do it in Jesus' name. Amen.